The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. U.S. stocks clinched their longest winning streak in nearly two years, with the Nasdaq higher for the eighth consecutive session. Fed Governor Michelle Bowman advocates for a further rate hike as her colleague Christopher Waller characterizes the recent GDP print as a blowout quarter. Chicago Fed President Austin Gillespie tells CBC there is still a chance of a soft landing. Because of some of the strangeness of this moment, there is the possibility of the golden path, that I call it, that we got inflation down without a recession. Elsewhere, we've got crude prices slipping to a three-month low, currently trading 81.51 on Brent. This as a slew of weak global data sparks concerns of dampened demand. That's overshadowing risks that the Israel-Hamas conflict could spill over in the Middle East. The IMF warns Europe faces a difficult task in restoring price stability, urging decision makers to keep policy tight. But the fund's deputy Europe director tells CNBC the region will avoid a recession. Q4 could be a little bit weaker than we forecast. Uh, the high frequency indicators seem to indicate as much. Uh, we are still not projecting a recession for Europe under the baseline, but clearly the recovery could be a little bit delayed. And the view from the C-suite will hear from the CEOs of DHL, Pandora, as well as Vestas Wind, Siemens Healthineers as earnings season ramps up. All of that here on Scorebox Europe. The longest winning streak for tech stocks since November 2021. The Nasdaq, as you can see, another nine-tenths higher. Eighth polls of session is what we've now witnessed. Apple won the big moving stocks to the upside for the major indices. Salesforce also contributing for the Dow. So it was a theme that was unlocked last week as investors were pouring over the detail from the Fed. And the verdict was, look, we are at peak levels for the Fed at this point. It unlocked a rally, and in particular for big tech, and that's continued into this week. Some pushback yesterday from Fed speakers. Michelle Bowman, who is seen as somewhat of a hawkish member, talking about the potential still for further rates, if higher rate hikes, if required. And you can see uh, the market just parking that to one side. Still appetite here to push up stocks. And I think if you look at the yield story, telling you that the market's fading the possibility still of uh, further rate increases. But diving into the tech story, you can see how those big US tech names played out. And Netflix, the only one that was slightly patchy. The rest all stronger. One plus percent on Apple, Microsoft, two odd percent plus on the likes of Amazon and uh, in the mix uh, Meta up uh, almost one percent, Nvidia gaining almost half of a percent. To Treasuries and that fade we're seeing on that uh, US yield you can see perch below 4.6 in the morning session for the 10-year. Uh, investors are seeing 4.94 at the short end so again reshuffling of those expectations. Demand I think also an issue. A lot of raking over the Chinese markets of late and we had more data out yesterday giving us a mixed picture. 
The view is that we've just not had this reopening theme around China as expected, <clears throat> and the market is just wondering whether to park their bets elsewhere. The Asian market's in session today. If you take a look at uh, the performance, let's take a look at uh, the China market, Hong Kong market. You can see how it's playing out. We've got the Australian market firmer, and that is up a quarter of a percent. Elsewhere, we are marking lower on Chinese stocks. Hong Kong down six-tenths of a percent and uh, reverse two for the Tokyo market. The Nikkei down 100-odd points. Arabile. Karen, thank you so much for that. Now, on the back of last week's Fed pause, policymakers have been discussing how they see the central bank's hiking path ahead. In fact, Governor Christopher Waller described the latest U.S. GDP growth print of 4.9% as a blowout that merits a very close eye when considering future policy. Meanwhile, the Dallas Fed's Lori Logan said U.S. economic strength had come as a surprise. But that long-term inflation is trending closer to 3% rather than its initial target then of 2%. But Governor Michelle Bowman said she took the recent GDP reading as evidence that the economy may have actually gained speed during the Fed's hiking cycle and that rates may still need to go a little higher. Now, speaking to CNBC, Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsbee said he believes inflation can still be brought down to its target rate of 2%. And that's without sparking a recession. Because of some of the strangeness of this moment, there is the possibility of the golden path, that I call it, that we got inflation down without a recession. If that happened in a way that wouldn't be an inflection point, it would just be a continuation of what we've already seen this year, which is unemployment up very modestly while inflation has come down a lot. If that, that, that's our goal, and let's shoot to try to, to manage that. Attention will now turn to Fed Chair Jerome Powell, which direction he sees policy taking when he addresses the Fed's statistics and research conference. That's happening later today. Steve. Uh, excellent work, Arabile. Thank you very much. Uh, I do want to move on to another side of the coin and just look at the U.S. consumer because auto loan delinquency rates hit 7.4% in the third quarter. Why is that interesting? It's because it's the highest level since 2017. Now, delinquency rates for credit cards also topped 8%. That is the highest level since 2011. All of this is according to the New York Fed's latest debt report. Overall household debt in the U.S. rose 1.3% in the third quarter to $17.3 trillion, with credit card borrowing, which was up 4.7% to $1.08 trillion. That's almost $4,200 per adult in credit card debt alone. Why have I asked the team to focus on this as well when actually the Fed speak is, is so nuanced? And, and by the way, good morning to you. Good How morning. are you? Um, look, the, the, the truth of the matter is the Fed still sees a soft landing path, uh, as Arabile was saying. The truth is that by and large corporates have had a, uh, it's been a mixed season, but by and large there have been more beats than misses from the corporates as well. So the Fed seems relatively confident. The market in terms of equities seems fairly solid and we had great oscillation the last couple of weeks as well with a huge rally still ongoing on the major US indices. And yet... 
it is our job to be very concerned about certain parts of the economy, an economy which is based on services and the consumer. And when I see warning signs in delinquency rates and household debt and revolving credit and car debt uh, and auto loans, then it's our duty to just, just be a little bit more uh, circumspect than some people whose job it is to say, oh, look, everything's great. For instance, borrowing costs are at multi-year highs. Lending standards are tighter. Credit card uh, conditions have tightened as well. Let me just give you this. The latest consumer credit report from the Fed Federal Reserve shows a 3.1 billion rise in revolving credit in September. That level was the highest on record. Now, I do want to give a bit of a comparison. I don't want to scare the horses too much. This is not all a totally scary story. The figures back in 2008, and I'm reliant on Carl Weinberg's high-frequency economic for the comparison as well. So I've already mentioned some of the numbers. But back in 2008, we had auto loan delinquencies at 10.1%, credit card delinquencies at 10.8%. It was a similar kind of level, slightly higher on the latter in 2009. So although we are at 2017 highs for one measure and 2011 highs for another measure. The fact is we are not at the same kind of level of depth we were in 2008 and 2009 yet. Yeah, the interesting point is that we may not see some of what you're highlighting just yet. There was a report over the course of this week from the National Retail Federation saying, look, they're predicting robust holiday sales still. They think that U.S. consumers are going to be out in force. Uh, you'll get a effectively spending that's 3 to 4% over 2022. So I think as we count down to some very important seasonals, you may not see it in those spending patterns. But what comes next as some of that uh, seasonal euphoria fades could be quite interesting. In terms of the markets and, and what they do with all of this, we've had an environment that really kicked off last week where the market has been so rate sensitive. So uh, we've had the sensitivity to the upside as the yield has shot up close to the 5% mark and the sensitivity to the downside now as investors are taking a little bit more risk. And you've seen it very much expressed in those big US tech names. There's been some analysis from DataTrek about just how important the rate story is at this point. They're saying, look, the 10-year Treasury yield was 300 basis points higher and then when the S&P 500 hit its all-time high in January 2022. Uh, and the earnings now expected to be 4% better than that index peak and saying, look, what you're going to see from here is that uh, earnings are not the problem, it's rates. So any market rally very much hinging on that rate story and the fact that we've had that fade, if we stay at lower levels, then there's a big question as to whether the, the rally can continue from here. And if there's further traction uh, downwards, on the rate story, then we could see more movement too on the US markets. So look, if we were just talking about the US consumer, if I was just talking about the US consumer as, as the only area of concern, then there might be mitigating factors because the US corporate balance sheet remains relatively strong. But we're not just talking about the US consumer, we're talking about a tightening of credit for everyone and everything. And when I pick up the Wall Street Journal or the FT or I look on CNBC.com, I see warning stories about the strength of US interest rates and what it means for emerging markets and refinancing in dollar terms. I see the concerns about the US government balance sheet. And let's be brutally honest about it. What's the date today? It's the 8th. We're talking about another nine days and we could be looking at another debate about a government shutdown on the 17th of November as well. And there are vast areas of the US corporate balance sheet from 
uh, the lower rated below IG to all the way to junk as well that have real strenuous refinancing conditions. Trillions of dollars need to be refinanced globally at rates we haven't seen in a generation mm -hmm. over the next couple of years. And I just want to make sure that everyone's prepared for that. So, so what are the implications of what you're fleshing out? And there is an interpretation in the market that slower US growth is coming. So we had what was described as a blowout print uh, by one Fed speaker near 5% in the third quarter. Which was led by the right. household, which is the extraordinary juxtaposition yes. with what I just said about uh, delinquencies and extra credit being taken on by households. Which is uh, the, the conundrum. Nobody thinks that can continue. So there is a, a repositioning in the marketplace now for slightly slower US growth. And you've seen it in the fade in the US dollar. You've seen it in the drop in that US yield. It's been in the oil story as well. There's been some quarters of the market that are just taking a more cautious approach now to that US demand story. Is that why real estate rallied 11% last week? Well, I do, I that think didn't got, sound very cautious to me. But you've got a me. lot of rallying off the bottom, don't forget. There's been a fairly vicious ah, sell-off over the summer, so it's some short-covering the, the bottom. market. Are we actually at the bottom? Well, we... it, it's an interpretation when the market thinks yeah. they've got an entry point no, again. I, I'm, with, get some short I, I, I'm not trying to say I know the answer. You know, I'm, I, I know people think I think I'm a know-it, but actually I don't know the answer. But I'm just thinking this household, as you quite rightly said, household, a 4% increase drove a blockbuster third quarter GDP figure. And yet at the same time, I see all this data which is beginning to flash amber if not red in some circumstances that is a conundrum for those policymakers anyhow for those of you who don't believe the november rebound has legs you can read how one bearish investor is setting up for a potential pullback that's on our premium service cbc pro The IMF says maintaining a restrictive monetary policy stance is paramount to returning inflation in Europe to target levels, although it warns most won't do so before 2025. The fund is forecasting a soft landing for most of the continent in its regional economic outlook report. It expects growth to slow to 1.3% this year and down from 2.7% last year before ticking up slightly in 2024. Jamana spoke to the Deputy Director of the IMF European Department, Helga Berger, and asked where the fund saw interest rates going. On our baseline, uh, the ECB and other central banks will keep their policy rates at the current level or around the current level until late in 2024. Uh, this will ensure that inflation indeed uh, goes down to target by 2025. So you have to have uh, tight monetary policy um, in the foreseeable future uh, to make sure that this actually takes place. Mm, well, uh, again, going back to the report, one of the aspects that jumps out to me is that you mentioned that the immediate challenge for Europe is restoring price stability. Do rates have to stay where they are in order for that price stability target to be achieved? Well, I think for most central banks in Europe, it's indeed true that monetary policy should remain tight uh, for the time being. This will make sure that disinflation proceeds as we expect, uh, but uh, we have to put in the work. Uh, we have learned from history that if you um, that monetary policy tightening needs to be um, in place for a little while, that you have to be patient. And if you ease too early, this um, often than not means that we have a, a resurgence of inflation that will mean that central banks will have to tighten even more at a higher cost later. So this is the right uh, approach. Keep monetary policy tight for the time being to see disinflation through. Now, coming up on the show, DHL Group fails to deliver as third quarter profit plunges by a third. As it says, the global recovery has failed to materialize. We'll go through the numbers with the CEO 
That's Tobias Mayer. That's coming up next. Then, later this hour, we'll get the latest check on German corporates with Bayer, as well as Adidas, both said to report that's happening at 6.30. Then, we'll hear from Pandora CEO Alexander Lasik as investors look to see whether the jewelry maker can shine in its third quarter report. Don't miss that conversation. It's a first on CNBC. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Numbers crossing from Commerce Bank this morning and uh, the line here. Net profit more than tripled in the third quarter, better than expected, helped by high interest rates. Net profit of 684 million euros in the third quarter. Had, did have a profit of 195 million euros at the same time a year ago. Analysts were setting up for a lower number than what's crossed today of 611 million euros, according to consensus forecasts. Just a, a couple of bullet points from the release today. Uh, the company is talking about its nine-month net profit almost doubling to 1.8 billion euros, saying strategy 2024 return target already achieved. They've uh, mentioned the latest quarter. They've broken it down to uh, the 2.8 billion in revenue that's crossed. They're saying that is thanks to customer business and continued tailwind from interest rates. So again, another NIM story crossing through these numbers today. For full year 2023 net profit of 2.2 billion euros, an ROTE of 7.5% expected. It's not the higher watermark you've seen from some of the other major lenders across Europe, but 7.5% on rote. But still, uh, it is uh, close to the 10% mark. Share buyback of 600 million euros applied for approval. Um, I've just gone on the investor relations page of DHL and Deutsche Post DHL, and the group has posted a 32% fall in third quarter operating profit, but narrowed its uh, year profit forecast as a slump in post-COVID demand continues to hit its business, saying a global recovery has not yet materialised. Um, always a pleasure speaking to Tobias Meyer, who is the CEO of DHL Group. So really good to see you today. Thank you so much indeed for joining Karen and myself. Tobias, I'll be brutally honest, I've had a, a, a decent sized look at your operations and where things are at the moment and cash flow and revenues. And I've gone through the regional segments as well. It looks like a global recession to me from your numbers as well. Does it feel that way to you or is there something I'm missing? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Look, I think what we are seeing is something that to a great extent we expected and the market expected. It's three things going on. We have a normalization of freight rates uh, post-COVID uh, that is still affecting very much our freight forwarding segment. We do see continued softness in the B2B market. That's what you're referring to. Somewhat recessionary trends, but it is bottoming out. But definitely no much life in the global economy in the third quarter. But on the B2C side, we are actually quite satisfied. We had some growth in our parcel operations, not only in Germany, but also in other consumer-orientated parcel networks. So it's these three things which make this, in our view, a pretty uneventful quarter. Um, okay, so, so look, 
I, I hear what you're saying and the B2B remaining very tough and the post-COVID trend just evening out somewhat as well. I get that. But the, on, that, on that third point you raised, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. The B2C, I can't see how B2C gets better from here. I may be missing the point, but I've just seen some pretty horrible figures regarding credit in the world's biggest economy and facing the consumer there. I keep seeing horrible figures coming out of Europe about what's going on economically. And I look at your Middle East and Africa unit or your Asia Pacific unit, actually, specifically, and I see an 18 percent decline as well. It just looks really tough. I can't see how the consumer can come to the rescue, Tobias. So what you're referring to with Asia Pacific and EMEA is, is largely our express and forwarding business. And indeed, uh, B2V volumes, as I mentioned, uh, are still declining. Um, and that's what we're seeing for quite a number of quarters now. And this is a trough on the B2B front, especially that is unexpectedly long. This is why we had these three macro scenarios out and we now are clearly saying the V recovery starting in the third quarter, we haven't seen it. So we have two um, remaining macro scenarios out. But on the B2C side, we do profit, um, obviously, from the shift to online. So I'm not saying that overall spending is significantly up, but we do see the revival of online taking share. That's what's happening in our parcel business. Is there a problem when it comes to Asia Pacific, Tobias? So just looking at the numbers, double digit fall here on the Asia Pacific revenue print. We do definitely see some shifts and you have to remember the comparables in um, Asia are, are quite tricky because with China, we, we do see growth year on year, but it is on a lower baseline because we still had COVID measures in, in China last year. So if you take the longer comparison, then it is actually in China, not the positive number that the year on year shows. In the other uh, parts of Asia Pacific, it's the bit of the reverse because there, indeed, um, we do see continued weakness in the trading. Um, it is very difficult to, to really pinpoint it. Clearly, electronics being very weak, clearly also uh, equipment, investment goods, capital goods, that has continued weakness. But we also see signs, again, on the consumer side, we had a, a very strong start in the peak season. We had to actually uh, get some additional charters to fly volume out of China in the last weeks. So we are still in that phase where it's clearly not a strong recovery. It's kind of yeah, wobbling along and the B2B side is, is clearly trailing. Tobias, can I ask you about spending? I know you've been expanding the network infrastructure. I can see that in the, the CapEx numbers are slightly lower than the same time a year ago. But that said, uh, you've had a net debt that's ramped up from 15.8 billion euros to 17.2 billion, and you've got a drop in free cash flow. So how cautious do you need to be on spending plans at this stage? So we have been quite cautious on particularly discretionary spending, but quality is important to us at DHL. So we do continue to invest in our global networks. That's across all divisions, but particularly with DHL Express, our customers express premium service. And for that, we need premium infrastructure. We want the latest when it comes to aircrafts, also because of their CO2 efficiency. So these are things that we continue to spend on, but we were very mindful on other costs. And when it comes to uh, the net debt position, you have to uh, keep in mind that this is strongly influenced by leases. This is the way the accounting is done these days. And obviously, the higher 
Um, interest also comes into that numbers. So renewed leases have higher lease commitments when it comes to that element on the balance sheet. So that's what's driving that. Looking through the freight numbers to Tobias, is there an element of homeshoring going on here? The fact that you've had a drop in volumes, to what extent is it friendshoring, homeshoring, this reconfiguration of supply chains is also still showing itself in your numbers today? Yeah, we do see definitely shifts. And we particularly see this um, also in our supply chain business where customers ask us to you know, have your warehouse space in Mexico, definitely a very hot market. Um, in parts of ASEAN, so outside China, but still in Asia, a lot of things going on. Um, so that footprint shift is happening, and you also see it in the, in the trade numbers. Um, some China flows being very weak to Europe, to the US, but again, other countries um, picking that up. So the global trade volume, definitely not up yet. Um, we have to say that, that third quarter wasn't showing that recovery that we and others might have been hoping for, and volumes are shifting, uh, so we see new patterns. Tobias, let me just ask you a more generic question. Um, do you see anything in policymaker response, either in Europe or indeed in China or Asia more specifically, or even in the US, that's left in the pot? Because let's be brutally honest about it, the fiscal position of every single one of those jurisdictions is incredibly challenged. Do you expect anything from the policymakers that can actually help boost the global economy at this moment? Well, we do see some practical steps in, in Asia. Many economies, including China, signaling they are open for business. They are, they are listening. Uh, they try to make things a bit easier for trade, which obviously, as you point out, in, in recent years hasn't gotten easier. We have seen more barriers, unfortunately. So these elements are happening. We're obviously still in a part of the, the interest cycle as well, which um, impacts the B2B side, impacts investments. So that is clearly uh, what we are seeing. Now we all see that um, the central banks get a bit more cautious. Um, and I think the economy might need one, two more quarters to absorb where we are in the interest cycle. So we have to see how that pans out. For now, what matters to us, peak season is ahead. Christmas is ahead. So the B2C side of the business has a lot of focus that we deliver good quality in that pre-Christmas peak. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.